Folks, I have just really, really been blessed over the course of the last six weeks to hear the words that the Lord has given to Garrett to share with us. I, I am not kidding when I say he has very quickly become my favorite preacher. Um, I'm just, I, I, I trust that many of you have as well. Six weeks ago when he began his series on participation trophies, and I think it was a throwing, but when he said the Romans can have it, Oh man, I have been chewing on that for six weeks. That was a good God word. He last week was talking about the Holy Spirit testifying to our salvation. And he just helped open up some scripture for me and, and help me think about some things in a new and a fresh way. And in between the first Sunday he spoke and the last Sunday he spoke every Sunday morning. I'm not whistling Dixie here, folks. Every Sunday morning there was something that I received from that that I was able to to build on and, and, and just really added value to my life. I was appreciative of that. I was also appreciative of the fact that for six weeks, I didn't have to prepare a sermon. That is by far the longest stretch in almost nine years of my life. I didn't have to prepare a sermon. And many of you were very, very aware of that. You were asking me, you know, so, so what have you been up to? Which I think was your very kind, subtle way of saying, well, what are we paying you for anyhow? Um, <laughs> But I did feel the need um, to report on a little bit of that. What I have done over the last six weeks among many of the day-to-day -day parts of my job is I've been able to take some time and look at some real big picture issues for the vision and the purpose of HRCC. Some of the things that we're doing, uh, the leaders, the deacons, the, the ministry staff and myself have been taking time over the last six weeks to really uh, audit and analyze the the effectiveness of our church. And in order to do that, I've kind of taken a bigger step back and, and looked through scripture asking the question, what is the purpose of the church? And what is the purpose of any individual church, according to the Bible? Well, the Bible says that we as Christians, our, our mission, we sometimes call it the great commission, is to go and make disciples. And so with that in mind, I've kind of been asking well, how well has HRCC been making disciples over the past few years? And really trying to be very critical in, in self-analysis. What could we be doing better? What could we be doing more efficiently? What changes can we make in, in the coming months that would help us become, as a church, even better suited to living out the purpose that God has given us? And part of that process then has been digging deeper on the word discipleship. If we're supposed to make disciples, let's look through scripture and, and try and figure out what exactly is a disciple. You know, it's, it's a word we throw around a lot, but what is a disciple? What does a disciple look like? What does a disciple do? And how exactly does God have the church function in the process of making disciples. And so, as I said, the deacons and the staff and I, we've had lengthy conversations about key biblical elements of discipleship. And we've evaluated, you know, where are we on this? How is HRCC doing in these areas? And the fruit of that, I think you'll see and you'll hear about over the course of the next several months, you know, to uh, just be brief on it. There were things that we found that we thought we're doing pretty good at those areas. And there were other things that we looked at and we said, you know, we, we, we all agree that we need to put a little bit more focus and maybe do some uh, reevaluating of how we're doing in these areas. And, and that's part of our 
rebuilding process. I mentioned this the last time I was preaching a series of sermons. I used the word rebuilding several times. And I told you, part of what's going on is I, I think this is a season of rebuilding for HRCC. And so that's kind of what that looks like. And with that in mind, it's my plan to take some time over the next several weeks and highlight two of those components of discipleship that we talked about. Connecting and serving. Now, historically, in our evaluation, in my evaluation, HRCC has been a place where people love to connect and they love to serve. And there are many stories that can be told for many of us about how we've developed friendships here and how we've seen and participated in kindnesses as they've been expressed, how we've helped one another. But you know, the events of the past year plus have made it very difficult to do so many of the things that we've grown accustomed to doing when it comes to connecting and serving. And so we have this picture on the screen. No, it's not a real error on the computer. It's just the graphic we're using for this sermon. But it looks like the, the error messages that you might have gotten on your computer once as you tried to get online. This is system error, unable to connect to the server. And those three words, unable, connect, and serve. I feel like that describes so much of church ministry for the past year. We've just been unable to connect and to serve. We haven't gathered in each other's homes the way we used to when it comes to connecting with each other. We haven't had any of those big church luncheons that HRCC is so famous for. Nine years ago, when my family started visiting this church for the first time before I became your pastor, it's one of the first things Sue and I noticed. We said, oh my goodness, this church has the spiritual gift of potluck. You know, it's absolutely, if ever there was a group of people that loved to eat with each other, you know, it's, it's HRCC. We haven't been able to do that in a year. Our, our grills are lying fallow outside, and it's an abomination. So many of the ministries that we have, kind of the formal opportunities that we've built so that we can serve each other, so many of those have been on hiatus for much, if not all, of the past year. And when we are together, we wear masks, and we keep our distance, and we leave quickly and it's made it so much more difficult to get to know each other. Last Saturday, when we had that attic work day, the clean-out day in the attic, Cassidy came. And Cassidy's been attending the church for over a year. She started just, just prior to, a few months prior to the pandemic when she moved here to come to school. But then the pandemic struck, and I think of the other 10, 12 volunteers that were here that day, most of them didn't know Cassidy. She's been in our congregation for over a year, but it's been hard to get to know somebody. If you haven't met Cassidy, get to know Cassidy, but don't bother to learn her last name because she's going to change that in a few weeks when she marries Tanner. That's not how that would have gone a year ago or more than a year ago, guys. You know, this is a congregation where you couldn't be anonymous for a year plus. That's historically who we've been, but it's, it's been hard, hasn't it? It's been hard. And so I want to talk about that because even though things have been different this year, I don't think God's desires have changed. I don't think God's plans have changed. I believe God is still asking us to be a people who connect and who serve. 
And so for the next few weeks, we're going to remind ourselves of what that looks like. And I think the best place to start is in the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Christians living in Corinth. In your Bibles, we call it 1 Corinthians. It's just a letter that he wrote to the Christians living in that particular city. And it's in that letter that he famously develops this analogy of the church. He says it's like a body, like a human body. And each one of us are a different part of the body, but we're all connected, the the same body, different parts, different functions, different pieces, but none of us is truly separate. We're all connected in one way or another. And in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul really unpacks that analogy and gives it all kinds of different applications. I want to read just four verses that describe part of that. You'll see them on the screen there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 15, the Apostle Paul says this, Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Because if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, and this is the key part here, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I'm going to read that last sentence one more time. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And there it is. God has created us to be connected. He placed us in a body. He didn't place us alone. He placed us in a body just as he wanted us to be. God has created us to be connected. Now, the idea of being connected to other people in meaningful relationship isn't just a good idea. And it certainly isn't just some sort of touchy-feely perspective on life. It's actually part of the way that every human being has been designed. I want you to remember what the Bible says about the creation of the universe. Think all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2. You might recall God saying, let there be light, and there was light, and he goes day by day after day creating, let there be, let there be, let there be, and he he creates and populates the entire planet, and each time he says, oh, it was good, it was good, it was good, at the end he creates, he creates Adam, and, and what does he say, not just it was good, he said, oh, it is very good, he says at the very end of that, God creates existence in the Garden of Eden. And I think when we think back to what that must have been like, what kind of words come to mind? Often we think, well, the Garden of Eden, God's perfect creation. We think about perfection and we think about how everything was good. Everything was good. Everything was just exactly the way God wanted it to be, but I want to challenge that perspective just a little bit and just for a moment. Do you know that in the Garden of Eden, not everything was good? Not everything was exactly the way it should be, even though everything that was there was there because God had said, let there be, something was amiss. 
And God identifies it. You can read it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where God says, you know what? I found one thing that isn't good. Even in this perfect creation, even in this garden where everything is exactly the way I said it should be, I still found something that isn't good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Even in the perfection of the garden, think of that, there was still one thing that was not good. The inability for a human being to have meaningful relationship with other human beings. Nobody had sinned. Nobody had done anything wrong. Satan hadn't tempted. There was no goof up. But still, something wasn't good. And I think, church, you might look at your life and you might feel like everything is perfect. From the outside looking in, life might look like paradise. But if you've been isolated from meaningful relationships, God says, well, that ain't good. It's not good. You are part of a body and you were created to be connected. Now, some of us very naturally push back on that idea, right? You were created to be connected. And some of us are like, not so much. And can I tell you the truth? I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm a little bit squeamish. I get a little bit itchy when the pastor starts talking about meaningful relationships and connections. And you know why? Because I'm an introvert. And people laugh a lot of times the first time they hear me say that. Because they see me preaching, they see me in front of crowds, they see me as a leader in rooms, they see me in that role. But if that's the only place you know me, you don't know the real me, which is kind of the point of being an introvert, I suppose. You see, I don't mind at all talking to a crowd. I just don't particularly like being in a crowd. That's what we introverts, come on, where are my peeps out there? That's what we introverts are all about, right? Like, I'm an introvert. I don't like the crowd. I, I value my alone time. Garrett and I went to a conference this week. We spent several days up in Minneapolis attending a church planning conference. And each morning as we arrived at the conference venue, uh, there were a bunch of greeters at the front door. Now, these were not greeters like we have at HRCC. This was not Wendy Martinez or Jim Hosick or Ashtiani standing at the door holding it for you and smiling. They had a whole crowd of people at the doorway to the conference holding signs and waving banners. There were young girls with pom-poms jumping up and down like cheerleaders. And as each person would walk towards the door, they would start cheering, Woo-hoo! Yeah! We're so glad you're here! And they would want fist bumps. It was awful. It was awful. Garrett's got a little bit of the introvert thing, too, going on. He and I are walking up the door the first day, and he's looking at me. We had masks on, right? So we could talk without being, you know, noticed. And he's like, this is terrible. And I'm like, I know. This is my idea of hell. (laughs) Please just let me be. I don't want to see you shake your pom-poms because I walked on your sidewalk. Get away from me. Amen is right. Right? I don't, I, don't, I don't do that. So thank you very little for not talking to me about meaningful relationships right now. I just need my alone time. Introvert isn't the only thing. Some of us are just private by nature. 
You know, we're a little bit more shy. We don't feel comfortable opening up with other people. Some of us struggle with pride. That can get in the way, right? I don't need anybody. Some of us are predisposed to think we can do it by ourselves. Some of us struggle with shame. It's not really a matter of not liking other people or not wanting to be with them, but we're afraid that if we get to be known, people are going to discover things that we don't want them to discover because we don't like the way we see ourselves. Some of us have been wounded in the past. Like we used to be good with relationships until somebody done something. And so it's hard to trust again. Some of us suffer from depression and whether a clinical diagnosis of a a mental illness or maybe just a temporary emotional state. In either case, we know for a fact that depression makes people avoid important relationships. And those are just a few of the reasons we could brainstorm and come up, I'm sure, with a long list of reasons why folks like myself might want to say, I'm not so sure about this meaningful relationship thing. Because any one of those things can make us feel like I wasn't made to be connected. I was made different. I was made some particular way, but it wasn't to be connected. We might be tempted to say, well, relationships are all well and good, but relationships are for extroverts. Relationships are for outgoing people. Or relationships are for needy people. Or relationships are just for other people, but not for me. And so we convince ourselves that we don't need connection. And we have a pretty plausible, ready-made explanation for it, right? It makes sense. But I want to remind you of what the Apostle Paul said. I'm not going to put it back up on the screen, but let me just reread to you some of the words I read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When he's talking about the body and using that analogy of the human body, he says, now if the foot should say... Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It wouldn't for that reason start being or stop being part of the body. In other words, Paul is saying, you can say, I'm not like those other guys. I'm a foot. I'm not a hand. And so I don't belong to the body. I don't need to be connected. But Paul's saying, just because you say that doesn't make it true. Just because you say it doesn't make it true. And so I think we need to add to what we've already said. We've said God has created us to be connected, but let's add this to us. God has created us to be connected, and it just doesn't matter what we think about it. (laughs) It just doesn't matter what we think about it. You can say whatever you want to say about yourself and about other people, about how you're wired, about what you're like, about what you need, about how you compare it to others. But folks, God isn't buying it. He's not buying it. It doesn't change the fact that he created you to be connected to the rest of the body. I love, I love, I love that Paul chooses to illustrate this with a foot. Anybody in the room ever felt like a foot for Jesus? Let me tell you what that looks like. I've felt like a foot for Jesus, you know, getting walked on all day long, really doing the work of supporting everybody else, doing all the hard work, but it seems like all anybody can ever say to you is, you stink. 
you've ever been there, you're a foot for Jesus. And when you're in those moments, you know, it's tempting to come up with a reason why, you know what, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need the rest of the body. But whatever reasons you might come up with, those don't change the truth. You were created to be connected. And when you say that you aren't, you just sound like a foot. You just sound like a foot. So we were created to be connected. And there are actually a lot of reasons for that, but there's one really, really important one that I think tends to get overlooked too often. Who wants to know the meaning of life? You thought you were coming to hear a good Mother's Day sermon. Well, I got more than that for you today. We're going to talk about the meaning of life, your cosmic purpose. Have you ever laid awake at night wondering what it all means? Well, I'm here to deliver today. I'm going to tell you exactly what it all means because the Bible is actually pretty clear about it. It's from another letter that Paul wrote, not to the Christians in Corinth, but to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10, Paul says the meaning of life is actually pretty simple. Look at what he says. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Sometimes that word gets translated workmanship. Sometimes it gets translated masterpiece. In any case, he's saying we are God's finest creation. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to read it again. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you want to learn to memorize that verse, commit it to song, ask Susan Chopper. She will tell you after service. I already saw her lean over and sing in Becky's ear. Okay, she knows a song that will help you memorize that word. We are God's masterpieces, handiwork. And why were we created? Paul says it's simple, to do the work that God planned for us to do. In other words, from the very start, God planned for us to serve one another. From the very start, from the beginning, from the foundation of time, what what are you going to have people do? They ask God, I don't know who they are, but they ask God, what are you going to have people do? And he said, well, I'm going to have them serve each other. They're my finest creation. That's what they're going to do. They're going to do good work, and I already have in mind what I'm going to have them do. That's going to be the purpose of their lives. Serving is a vital component of why you were born, especially if you're a Christian. And serving people is actually why you need to connect with the church. Because the Bible says that God gave you the church to help you develop your ability to serve. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that we are his workmanship created and so on and so forth, he goes on and he talks about that for a while. And a few pages later in chapter 4, he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Why did he give us all of these people? To take our money? No. To equip his people for works of service. It's why God gave you the church, so that you would be equipped for works of service. From the start, God planned for us to serve one another. From the start, God planned for us to serve one another. So think about that. Why did God give you a pastor? Why did God give us Garrett? 
Why did God give you a pastor? It's not so that you can come and hear inspiring sermons. It's not, I mean, there's a lot of things that pastors do, and, and all of them have some degree of validity, but when it gets down to brass tacks, why did God give you a pastor? The Bible says God gave you a pastor so that you would be better equipped to serve somebody. Think about the evangelist. You know, where was it when you first heard the gospel? Who was the first person to share the gospel with you? That person was an evangelist in your life. Why did God give you that evangelist? So that you could believe in Jesus and go to heaven someday? Well, yeah, kind of. But really, when you get down to the essence of it, what the Bible says is God gave you that evangelist so that you would be better prepared to to serve somebody. Why did God give you the church? Why did he give you all of these different people? So that you would be better equipped to do the works of service that he had prepared in advance for you to do so that you could serve somebody. One of the primary purposes of the church is to support God's plan for us to serve one another. And if we aren't encouraging one another to serve, then we aren't doing the job that God gave us to do. And by the way, if you're trying to be a part of this church or any other church, whatever church you consider, whatever congregation, whatever church family is, is, is home to you, if you're trying to be part of that church without acknowledging your God-designed role as a servant, you, you're kind of missing the point. And chances are a church isn't making too much sense to you. Chances are you haven't really figured it out yet. Now, I need to be quick to say of course, I'm not necessarily saying this is limited to, so you got to go out and sign up to be a part of a ministry team. This is not a passive-aggressive sermon focused on trying to get more volunteers to do the things, right? It's not about what title you have. It's about your lifestyle. It's about your lifestyle. It's about what you do with every moment of your day. Every circumstance you find yourself in, especially as you're connecting with other believers, in every instance, God created you. He wired you to be seeing that circumstance through a lens that says, how can I serve these people well? How can I serve these people well? Now, that might sound like a lot of work. (laughs) Good grief. Don't we ever get a day off? Dan, you've got six weeks off. What do we get? But the good news today is that God already accounted for all of the work. He already accounted for all of the work. How many of us know God never gives us a job without providing us with the tools? That's how God works. Yeah, he gives us jobs, but he always provides us with the tools. And for this, I want to take, go away from the Apostle Paul for a moment. I want to talk about his, his buddy, the Apostle Peter, who also wrote to a group of Christians in 1 Peter chapter 4. And Peter was talking about spiritual gifts. We'll get more on that a little bit later. But people were asking Peter, you know, we've heard about this spiritual gift thing. We've heard about how when we become believers, God, by his spirit, gives us abilities and, and purposes and, and, and things like that. And we're just, we, we kind of like the sound of that, but we're not really sure, like, what's the point? Like, what are we supposed to be doing? Again, it's another one of those, what is the meaning of life questions? What are we supposed to be doing with all of that stuff? And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter answers the question. He says, well, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. That's the point. 
Each of you, every last one of you, I hope Anori Hall is listening. We need to get her started on the right foot here, right? Okay, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Again, he's talking about spiritual gifts here. Time won't allow, and I don't think it's necessary to go into the nitty-gritty of what exactly that means. There's spiritual gifts that are supernatural in nature. There's some that are very mundane. They're all over the map, all different kinds of wonderful things. You know why? Because there's all different kinds of wonderful people in the church. But God has given each one of them abilities. And what are we supposed to be doing with our gifts? We're supposed to be serving one another. We're supposed to be serving one another. And so again, we need to add to what we've already said. We already said that God planned for us to serve one another, but let's add to that. So he gave all of us that ability. He gave all of us that ability. Every one of us has the ability to be a servant in the body of Christ. You know what I got for Christmas this year? I don't think I've told anybody this. Um, Because I actually haven't taken any of them out of the box yet. But for Christmas this year, I got the supplies for doing my own oil change. Pretty impressive. (laughs) I made it a goal this year. I am going to learn how to change my own oil. Not because I'm passionate about auto mechanics, but I am passionate about not paying other people to do things. And so for Christmas, I asked for tools. I got got one of those, do they call them, somebody help me, Crawler, or is that a donut? Creeper. creeper. Okay, I'm learning here. I didn't get a donut for Christmas. I got a creeper so I can roll and look like I know what I'm doing. I got the ramps that I can put up. I got a little bit of everything. I, I, there, it's all still in the box because I was not gonna change my own oil when it was 20 below this February. Okay, but this spring, this spring, I am learning how to change my own oil. And so I asked for that stuff for Christmas. And I got it as Christmas. I've got gifts that will help me do an act of service. I received gifts that are going to help me do a job that's important to me. And if I get good at it, I just might change Sue's oil too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Husband of the year. Right here. Yeah. But I bring up those gifts because I feel like that's what God has done for each one of us. He gave us gifts, gifts with a purpose, gifts so that we could serve, gifts so that we could get the work done that he's asked us to do. So here's the thing, no matter who you are, if you're in this room, if you count Jesus as your savior, then don't believe the lie that says you have nothing to offer because God said otherwise. And don't fall victim to the temptation to compare yourself to everybody else in the room And assume that you don't measure up. You know why? Because God says otherwise. And don't disqualify yourself from participating in the plan that God has for your life. He gave you a gift so that you could serve. And that was his plan for you. Don't disqualify yourself. Everybody in this room has a God-given ability to serve others. It's just how you were made. I hope you don't feel like I'm bringing all of this up because secretly, I think you've done a bad job. That's not what's going on here. This isn't one of those sermons meant to motivate you with guilt, where I smile brightly, but really I'm just telling you how terrible you all are. I don't preach those kinds of sermons. Like I said, HRCC has typically been a congregation that 
connects and serves really, really well. It's one of the things I'm most proud about when I say I love my church. Now, there's always room to grow. And there have been times when I've noticed that there's gaps that we need to fill, right? I'm not saying we're perfect. But on the whole, I'm proud of how we've connected with one another through the years. And I'm proud, I'm proud of how we've served each other through the years. But this past year, it's changed a lot of things. It's been tough, hasn't it? And some of the ways that we've always connected and served have been made so much more difficult. But you know what hasn't changed this year? God's plan for our lives hasn't changed. Your divinely ordained purpose and design to connect and to serve hasn't changed. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. We were at this conference this week and one of the speakers uh, shared this illustration about snowflakes. And he was, he was just talking about snowflakes, like literal snowflakes, not the insult that you say to people, like snowflakes. And he's sharing this. And I whipped out my laptop and then opened it up to my sermon notes and I put it in there. I thought, man, I am stealing this because it was good. And so here you go. He was telling us how, you think about a snowflake. Imagine one of those big fluffy snowflakes just kind of slowly fall into the ground. And describe that snowflake. Sure, it's beautiful, but you know what it is? It's weak. It's fragile. Think about how fragile they are. Think about if you catch it in your hand and it's just, the temperature is just marginal. It hits your hand and a second later it's gone because it's melted. That snowflake is, it's without the ability to do anything. But then he said, you know what? A bunch of snowflakes all connected together Imagine what they can do. They can change a landscape. They can topple a tree. A bunch of snowflakes all connected together can destroy your roof. <laughs> Don't we know that at HRCC? Over $10,000 in damage to our roof because a bunch of snowflakes got together. And we're still discovering it. Some of you noticed when you came in this morning, we have involuntary baptisms going on in the back row. <laughs> Right? All because a bunch of snowflakes got together. Snowflakes, when they connect and get together, they have paralyzed cities. Keila will tell you, she was in Dallas this winter. They got like a whopping two inches of snow, poor folks. <laughs> Difference is they didn't know what to do with it. Broke the state of Texas. Snow will paralyze the city. Throughout history, snowflakes connected together have stopped advancing armies in their tracks. Snowflakes. One of them will melt in your hand, but a bunch of them connected together will stop it. That's the real powerful, the real power of the snowflake. They just need to connect. I was just thinking about that illustration that he shared, and I'm like, I'll see your snowflake illustration, but let's keep this going, because I think there's more to it. I want you to imagine that snowflake, that one solitary snowflake as he's just floating down gently on the winter breeze. All is calm, all is bright. Are you in the mood now? 
What's the very first thing we learn about snowflakes way back in kindergarten? We learn that everyone is different, right? Each one is unique. No two snowflakes are alike. And just like us, right? Every one of us is unique. No two of us are just alike. Imagine that snowflake as he's just floating on the breeze, looking down at the ground before him. He's looking down at all of those other snowflakes that have already connected on the ground. And he's thinking, I don't look like any of them. That connection that they're experiencing is obviously not for me because I can't find a single one of them that looks like me. And so he goes off and he hits the ground somewhere else all by himself and he melts and he never realizes his God-given purpose. I don't want that to happen to any one of us. I don't want us to look at the rest of the kingdom of God and say, well, that's not for me. Not one of those folks looks like what I look like. Not one of those folks is wired the way I'm wired. Not one of them has the abilities or the perspective or the whatever that I have, it must not be for me. I'll just kind of do this my own thing all the way over here. I'm pretty sure I can love Jesus all by myself. Folks, that's one of the biggest tragedies we could ever have. A forfeiting. A forfeiting of our God-designed purpose. The culture we live in today places a lot, of a lot of emphasis on, I was born this way, right? We use that to excuse or explain a hundred different behaviors. I was born this way. I was born that my Irish anger, I was born this way. You know what? As people of faith, we go a lot deeper than that. I don't care how you were born. You could have been born any which way. That's not what's at issue here. The Word of God tells you how you were designed. And that's something completely different. So you know what that means for me? At the end of the day, I need to get over my introvertism. I don't have any intentions on stopping being an introvert. I will always value my alone time. I will, you know... I don't have any intentions on changing that or trying to be somebody, but I'm not going to use that as an excuse to stop being the person that God created me to be. I'm not going to look for reasons to not be the person that God's word told me I am. I love that we sang it this morning. I am not who I think I am. I am not who I was born to be. No, 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 no. I am who you say I am. Do you hear that today? I am who you say I am. And you know what he has said about you? He has said you were designed to connect and you were designed to serve. And I'm just gonna downshift into prayer here. Would you pray with me? Lord, that's what you have said. You have said we were designed to connect. You have said we were designed to serve. You have said, look, I'm the one who had you on the shop table, putting you together. I know where every wire is. Don't presume to tell me how you're wired. I'm the one who did the wiring. And Lord, you placed us exactly where you wanted us to be. Exactly where you wanted us to be. Church, this is me, not the Lord. Now, just you can keep your eyes closed, but hear these words. 
I'm not going to presume to know the details about every corner of your life. I, I don't know where every one of you live or where every one of you work or go to school. I don't know every circumstance. There's all kinds of different things going on with each one of you. I get that. I get that. I'm not going to presume to speak to every one of those details right now. But I'm going to tell you this by the word of God. Right now, in this moment, in this space, you are exactly where God wanted you to be. Do you hear that? Right now, in this moment, you are exactly where God designed you to be. Lord, we rejoice in that. We rejoice in that. Lots of us spend time all through the week running here and there. And I know we would struggle with these questions about how's it supposed to work and who am I supposed to be in this circumstance and what am I even doing here? But Lord, when I'm with your people, when I'm with your people, when I am in the house of God, I am exactly where I was meant to be. God, we don't want to make excuses about the pandemic anymore. Some things that changed are going to, they're just going to continue to be. We need to not worry about that. I'm convinced of it, Lord. I believe your spirit has said this to us. You, you aren't surprised. This didn't alter your plan one little bit. So we're going to stop fussing about it. And we're just going to get back to being the people that you designed us to be. Lord, we're going to connect. And if we have to connect through a mask for a little while, then... You know what? We're just going to connect through a mask. And we're going to serve. And if we have to serve in, in, in different ways than, than how we used to serve, then we're just going to do that. Because that is who you created us to be. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word today. Thank you for confirming it in our hearts. Thank you for giving us one another. You gave the church so that we would be better equipped to do what we were designed to do. We got better today, Lord, because we connected with one another and we allowed your spirit to do his work. Help us to serve each other well. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.